Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm John Murray-Brown. Mass protests in Sudan and Algeria have forced two of Africa's long-established leaders to step down this month. And in both cases, economic hardships played a key role. Katie Martin discusses whether the upheavals will lead to real change in the region with David Pilling, our Africa editor, and Andrew England, our Middle East editor. So, David, let's start with Sudan. What's the situation there now? Well, everything's really in flux. Last Thursday, Omar Bashir, who'd been in power for 30 years, was ousted by a coup, or what purported to be a coup. The general who replaced him was ousted 24 hours later as head of what's become a military council. That military council is now in discussions with the organisers of the protests, protests that have been going on for four months and which intensified in the last week and which provided the catalyst for what the protesters are calling a revolution, but what some still think might be a kind of a staged coup or even a piece of political theatre designed to sort of fool the Sudanese people. So not only are the facts on the ground changing very quickly, but also the interpretation of what those facts mean are also in tremendous flux. It's a confusing situation. So other revolutions in the region or other uprisings in the region have been violently suppressed or have ended in civil war. How has Sudan avoided this fate? Well, we're four days into the revolution, so I think it's far too early to say that it has avoided such a fate. I mean, if you look at the Arab Spring around the region, Tunisia has not gone so badly, but Egypt now has basically a military government. You know, you have Yemen, you have Syria. The track record isn't entirely commendable. If you look at Sudan, it's just really too early to tell how this will go. I mean, the problem is that you had a man who was in power, Bashir, for 30 years. All the organs of state were really moulded for the purpose of keeping him and his backers in power. And if you just suddenly decapitate that structure, then there's a real question as to what replaces it. Is it really just the same structure pretending to be something else? Or is there a genuine attempt or a genuine force that sweeps that away and replaces it with something else. But if something else, then what? And a lot of what you would expect, the sort of the opposition, the political parties, civil society, they've clearly remained alive. You can see that on the streets of Sudan. But to the extent that they're functioning structures that could, for example, win an election if an election is held, we really don't know. So tell us a bit more about Bashir. He's been an international prior for decades. It's difficult to tell whether his departure can really change things, given the grip he had on the political infrastructure in the country. We don't even know that he's gone. I mean, we know he's in house arrest. He's disappeared. You know, that could be some kind of charade. But assuming that he has gone, look, I mean, Bashir came into power in 1989 through a coup. He consolidated his power. He quickly did become a pariah. He was accused of being in bed with Islamist forces. He at first pretended that he wasn't, in fact, and had jailed the man Al-Turabi, who later really emerged as the kind of eminence grease of the coup and of his power. So he really threw in his lot with Islamists, which didn't go down well particularly with America. Bin Laden was harboured in Sudan. There was a US bombing of a pharmaceutical factory. And then you had a whole uprising in Darfur in the west of the country, which was absolutely brutally suppressed by the regime. 
by Janjaweed forces, which have now really become a militia. And this militia, funnily enough, may now actually be part of or certainly very connected to the military council that's now in control. So as you can see, the whole situation is very complex, both the history of what's being inherited, but also what we have today. Meanwhile, over in Algeria, there's been a similar upheaval earlier this month. Andrew, what are the main similarities and differences between those two situations? The trigger was very different in Algeria. So Algerians took to the streets very peacefully when Abdelaziz Bouteflika, who'd been president for 20 years, announced that he was running for a fifth term. This is a man who's 82 years old. He's been incapacitated and hasn't spoken since a stroke in 2013. So Algerians took this as a huge insult. And the protests quickly took on a very national character and spread across the country and gained huge momentum. Now, eventually, again, in a country where the military plays an important role in politics, the military intervened at the beginning of this month and Bouteflika did resign. This was after they postponed elections and talked about having national dialogue. But in a very similar way to Sudan, from the protesters' perspective, it's not seen as enough. The cause have sort of morphed into cause for general regime change. So the figurehead has gone, but they still want more. And I think that's what we're still waiting to see, how that plays out in Algeria, the same way David was talking about Sudan. You've had a scenario where there's a facade of multi-party democracy in Algeria, but political parties are basically shells, they're tools of the state. So what is going to replace the regime? What could replace the FLN, the political party of Bouteflika, going back to the liberation movement that's been in power for years? So with all these cases, I think it's just a question of we're in a situation where we're slightly uncharted waters for these countries. And so we don't really know which direction it's going. And how do the militaries manoeuvre in a way that can appease the protesters while showing serious signs of reform? Is there an economic element to what's happening? Yeah, I think there's an economic element in all of these countries. You know, Algeria's Africa's biggest gas producer is a very important gas exporter to Europe, particularly southern Europe. But since 2014, when the oil price plummeted, Algeria's felt tremendous economic pressure. Its reserves have fallen from $178 billion to $88 billion. And this means states which have typically used state largesse through subsidies to appease populations while giving limited political space have less resources to dole out, if you like, to try and placate people. And they're being forced to introduce more austerity measures. So cutting food subsidies, cutting energy subsidies. So in a sense, they're putting more pressure on populations which are younger, which are better informed at a time when they're giving them less or limited political freedom. And that pressure's built up. And I think what we're seeing in both Sudan and Algeria is people are saying, right, we've had enough. We mm. want change. And in Sudan, you had very similar kind of economic pressures. Sudan lost South Sudan, its oil producing region. It was also not able to put in the subsidies in the same manner as Algeria. And it was actually bread prices, a big hike in bread prices following a removal of subsidies that triggered these protests four months ago. What started out as economic quickly took on a political taint, but the proximate cause was certainly economic. And another factor that really angers people is that it's not just that they're being asked to make more sacrifices, it's that they're being asked to make these sacrifices by regimes they perceive to be extremely corrupt. Ruling elites, business, military, political, that have ripped off the state's resources for their own benefit at the expense of the masses. So you have this volatile cocktail of frustration and anger over economic, political and social issues, which is really, you know, causing ructions throughout the region. 
I suspect the answer to this question is going to be, I don't know. But do you think we are on the cusp of seeing some lasting change in Algeria now, a real, a proper move towards democracy and freedom as we would define it? I think you know, the jury is very much out. I mean, what we have seen in Algeria is the security forces and the protesters to date have been very wary of sort of moving towards violence. So it's been very peaceful, which is a very good sign. There's a real question about how the military proceeds because the militaries in all these countries, they see themselves as the protectors of the state. And in Algeria, it goes back to the liberation movement against France. And so I think that there is a genuine belief among the security that they are there, they are needed to protect the state. Will they be willing to say, right, you know, it's time for a new generation, it's time to move forward? And that's where the real challenge and the real questions lie, I think. David, in terms of Sudan, what do you think? Do you think there's a chance that this is a flash in the pan, effectively? Or do you think this is something, you, there's no going back? There is a chance that it's a flash in the pan. I don't think we should underestimate what has happened. You know, you've had a very concerted, very well-organised, very peaceful protest movement that has been nationwide, that has been organised by young educated people that have pushed for a result and they appear to have got that result. They're also digging in. So although they've toppled not one but two leaders or at least appear to, they're saying they're not moving until they have something that looks like a civilian-led transitional government followed by democratic elections. So in that sense, something psychologically, I think, has changed. However, could we see a situation where you have a messy transition, where you have elections that are run really under the auspices of the military council that are won even, for example, a la Thailand by a military leader, by General Burhan, who's now in control? It's not impossible to see him presenting himself as a civilian leader and winning an election. I mean, all this is a crystal ball because we're four days into a process that is going to unfold over several years. So I think something psychologically has changed. How much will change on the ground, whether we're really at the start, at the cusp of genuine democratic reform in Sudan? I'm sorry to say it's too early to tell. It's fascinating stuff. Thanks, both of you. That was Katie Martin talking to David Pilling and Andrew England. Thanks for listening. Remember, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, you can find our latest subscription offers at ft.com forward slash offer.